Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Virtual Voyage. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and I call this the Armchair Travel Show because you're going to have the opportunity to experience the best sights the world has to offer, all without leaving your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. You're going to experience things you've never experienced before, all through the medium of radio. And since this, is the first, since this is the first episode, I'd like to share a little bit about myself so you all can know me and, and know why I'm passionate about sharing about travel and, and sharing these sites that I've been able to experience with you all. So like I said, I'm Abigail Snyder. I was born in Pennsylvania, and when I was seven, I moved to South Carolina. Uh, fun fact about me, I actually have seven younger siblings, and that does play a lot into my travel experiences because I do travel with them quite frequently. Two parents, eight kids, 10 of us traveling, it's a lot but it's a lot of fun. So I'm currently here at Hillsdale College as a freshman where I'm hoping to major in rhetoric and public address. So super excited to be here uh, and, and doing radio and sharing this with all of you because it definitely intertwines with my passion there. I love music. So when I'm not uh, researching for, uh, for the show or for traveling or doing my homework, which of course is very important, I am definitely gonna be t uh, spending some time in the music room. So. I love jazz and I play jazz guitar and I'm part of the big band here at Hillsdale as a guitarist. Now you might say, Abigail, why do you love trips so much? And why do you love traveling? And, and there is a reason. Uh, I've traveled for the greater part of my life and it's been something that I've really come to love and come to enjoy. So my first major trip, I mean, I, I took trips when I was younger, but my first major trip where I really needed a passport, you could, you could put it that way, was when I went to Alaska when I was 11 years old. I went with my grandmother and with my younger brother, and it was such a great experience. And I was able to make my first uh, cross-country flight, right, like the, the three-hour flight at that point, right, and go into Canada and get on the cruise ship for the week and go up to Alaska. And while everyone else, including adults, were worried about shopping and doing that, which nothing wrong with that, but you know, <laughs> that you need to find a balance. I was off wanting to get more into the culture and get more into the history and wouldn't stop asking the tour guide questions because it just was so interesting to me. So that's something I want to be able to share with all of you. And that's something that's been a passion for me since I've been young is, is not just touring for the sake of getting out of your house, but touring for the sake of, uh, of learning. And so that's something I want to want to give all of you is that gift of that gift of learning. I also went to Greece and Turkey when I was 13 years old with my younger brother again and my dad this time. And we went actually in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul on his uh, missionary journeys throughout that area. So we stopped at, at uh, sites like Ephesus and Thessaloniki and Athens and Crete, all of those different places. And it was fascinating to get to to get to go to such important sites that have honestly played into the Western heritage, uh, the heritage, the Western culture that we now live in. Um, Greco-Roman culture was obviously, obviously crucial for shaping our Western culture. And so being able to go to Greece and being able to go to Rome on a later trip and then Jerusalem, as we'll talk about soon, all of that has helped me see uh, my culture now and my Western heritage in a different way. And I want you all to be able to have the same experience and understand understand what exactly it is we're doing here in, in this Western heritage. I'm in this class uh, this year that all Hillsdale freshmen have to take entitled Western Heritage. And it is amazing and a great blessing to be able to go into class and we talk about Athens or we talk about Jerusalem. And I say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I've been there. And I want you all to be able to have draw those same parallels because it is so important. I do believe that it grows you as a person. So I hope that this show is enlightening, it's fun, but it also helps you become 
a new sort of person who who understands more and is able to to go to to go to greater depths with your mind. Um, so beyond Greece and Turkey, which was obviously an amazing trip, I also traveled to England and France with Hillsdale College here in 2018. And that was an opportunity to go uh, essentially and, and follow along with, with World War II and Winston Churchill and what happened there. And that was led by Professor uh, or Dr. Tom Connor, who has since retired and gave the commencement address for the class of 2020. What a cool experience to be able to learn from him. And I cannot wait until we get to a season where we're going to discuss England and France and that trip and what I learned there. Because I know you will be able to learn so much as I, do, as I did on that trip. Um, I also traveled to Italy with Hillsdale in 2019. Also, another wonderful trip where I was able to learn so much and, and learn a lot about my Western heritage because obviously Rome uh, played a, a, a key part in that. And then we went to places like Florence and, and Venice and Pompeii, which are also very crucial uh, sites that I think everyone needs to, if, if you can't go, you need to have an understanding of, of what's there. Um, but one trip stands out above the rest, and that was when I went to Israel in the summer of 2017. And the summer of 2018 and the summer of 2019, all staying for different lengths. So the summer of 2017, I went for two weeks. The summer of 2018, I went for five weeks. And the summer of 2019, I went for a month. Israel was a life-changing experience. Uh, Israel helped me to become a better Christian. It helped me to understand the Bible in ways I never had understood it before. You know, we have such an American way of looking at things today where, where we say, oh, yeah, we read about deserts or forests in the Bible, and, and we immediately think about a desert being Arizona, or we think about a forest somewhere in North Carolina or Virginia, but we don't realize what exactly the author's uh, intention was when they wrote that passage in the Bible. And when you don't have that ability and that, that understanding, it honestly hinders the way that you are able to approach the Bible. And so that's something I want to help you with, is I want you all to be able to approach the Bible in a different way. I want you all to be able to see the history, see the culture of the Hebrews, uh, of Israel, and see that in a different way. So before we actually go and, and look at some of the sites in Israel, I cannot wait to share that with all of you. Um, we need to actually take the trip over, right? So we need to get on the plane and we need to experience what it's like to travel to Israel. And you might say, why are you going to spend an episode on traveling to Israel? I mean, honestly, what in the world? No, there's a reason, okay? When I first went to Israel, I think I would have said the exact same thing. Traveling is just going to be a few hours in a plane, and we'll get there, and it's done. But it is so much more than that. Traveling to Israel is an experience of great significance because the first, it's the first time that you truly get to interact with the with the Jews, and you get to interact with the nation of Israel in a way that you never have before. I mean, my travel experience, you could say, it was already unique, right? So we're packing up our bags, ready to go over for the first two-week trip, and um, you have to remember that we have 10 people from my family with us and also two other friends we took with us. So there's 12 people going over the first time. It literally was Israel by the dozen. So there's a lot to pack up. I mean, you think about it. We had 12 bags. We had 24 carry-ons. We had a bunch of young kids. Um, eight to two-thirds of the members on the trip were all uh, kids, not, not adults. So we even had a three-year-old. My youngest brother at the time was three, and uh, he, he came along. Obviously, we couldn't leave him at home. And honestly, I think that I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes, but there is great significance to younger children going and experiencing the land. Um, so I, I really want what I just talked about to be an encouragement to you all because a lot of people say I, I can't I can't go to Israel I can't do it I can't make it, it it's, it's too much I have young kids and and they wait to go to Israel and, and make it a retirement trip and there's nothing wrong with that 
But at the same time, you want to be able to experience this place, which is which is so beautiful and so amazing. And I can't imagine a better time to go to Israel and to see it as 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 an impressionable child. There's so much significance there because the child is able to read the Bible and understand the Bible in new ways. And obviously, if you want to make it your retirement trip, there's nothing wrong with that. But going to Israel as a child, I think, is, is extremely different. I mean, my brother, who was three at the time, is now six. He understands the Bible, even just his storybook Bible, in ways that most people, most, most adults can't even. He's able to say, I know that place. I, I've been there. I've walked there. It's not a waste. I'd, I'd encourage you that Israel is a real place that is, is beyond anything that, <laughs> that you could ever experience on this earth. And if that's, that's why season one is going to be all about Israel here on the virtual voyage, because it is such an amazing place, and I want to share it with all of you. So lives really are changed by going there. So I want your life to be changed, even though you're taking this as an armchair travel, you could say. So uh, with my family, we, we flew out of a small airport up to New Jersey, and then we flew out of New Jersey, a direct flight, uh, across the Atlantic Ocean to Tel Aviv. But before we, we get there, we actually were just, were just sitting in the, the airport up in New Jersey, right? And we all of a sudden are, are standing there and we see these people come in and they're dressed up in these long black suits. And I mean, this is uh, looking good and professional and, and formal to the 10. And they have these high black hats on and they have these beards and these long curls. Well, we find out that these are, these are Hasidic Jews. These are Orthodox Jews who, who practice the commandments and practice the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, to an absolute T. We continue to, to observe this because we're just so curious. And, and then we see this, this group of Jewish men get together and they start praying. And they're all faced a certain way. And this is very crucial because all Jews, when they pray, face towards Jerusalem. You have to remember, we're in the United States of America. We're in New Jersey. Jerusalem is, is many, many miles away. But what they're doing here is they're, they're, they're facing towards Jerusalem, even across the Atlantic Ocean, because they want to remember Jerusalem. They want to, they want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and they want to remember their promised land. So we're kind of confused when, they, when these group of men get together and start praying. Later we find out that this group of men is called a minyan. It's a group of ten men needed for a certain Jewish rituals, uh, such as the priestly blessing, number 632, I believe. Uh, and, and men are being 13 years older, older, right? So uh, a, a man, you become a man in Jewish tradition. When you turn 13, you get your bar mitzvah. Um, it's also seen as more blessed to worship or to study Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's it seen more blessed to do that as a minyan. So it's a little weird. Try to imagine this, right? We're sitting in the airport and you see these Jews start praying and they're moving back and forth and they're swaying. And there are different explanations for why they're moving back and forth, essentially hinging at the hip. Uh, one comes from Psalm 3510, which says that all my bones will say Lord, which is uh, capital L-O-R-D. It's, it's the highest name for God in, in, in the Jewish tradition. It's Y-H-V-H. Um, uh, all my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? I've, he I've uh, heard other Jews even say that it it's for concentration. Um, whatever the reason, if it's coming from the Bible, which I think in part it does, and other, uh, another part maybe just from tradition, it's uh, this shuckling, what they call it. it. It's very odd when you have no context for why they're doing it, which we didn't have context the first time we saw it, right? So we see this, and then, and then it gets time to board the plane. So we're going to board the plane, and when you go on the plane to Tel Aviv, actually, 
they make sure to take care with an extra security precaution. You actually get a second screening before you step on the plane. So, of course, right here at the Virtual Voyage, we have to go through our second security screening. And now we're going to get on the plane and we need to sit down and really prepare our hearts for the land of the Bible and try to sleep even. Of course, there, there's still a lot to see. You're on the aisle seat and you watch a Jewish man and he goes in to use the bathroom. And when he comes out, he doesn't sit down. Instead, he stands in the aisle and starts to block maybe that cart of drinks coming by that you have your eye on. What he's doing here is he's actually praying after using the bathroom. He's, he's, he's thanking God for everything, even the use of his bodily functions. It seems strange to us maybe, but it's, it's the Asher Yatzar prayer. It reads uh, along the lines of this, Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who formed man with wisdom and created within him many openings and many hollow spaces. It is obvious and known before your seat of honor that if even one of them would be opened or if even one of them would be sealed, it would be impossible to survive and to stand before you even for one hour. Blessed are you, Adonai, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. To Americans, it might seem strange that we're thanking God and remembering him for something like going to the bathroom. But I very much have come to appreciate so much that the Jews do and, and that, that they keep their mind on God all the time. They're focusing on him. Remembering God is important, and we do have to thank him for everything that he gives us, including uh, bodily functions that some of us might consider to be maybe gross in some ways. And that's something that Jews do that I think that we, we as Americans would do well to maybe just think about or even just to remember God more. All right, so now we're back to enjoying some in-flight movies and sleeping as best we can on this plane. And then it's dinner service. Okay, dinner service. It is time for you, the virtual voyager, for your first introduction to kosher food. So preparations for kosher food, and that's the food that the Jews are allowed to eat as per the prohibitions in the Torah, first five books of the Bible. It's very specific. So all of the meat has to be up to the highest standard, of course. Um, many of you probably know that no pork or shellfish is allowed. Even the preparations for something like wine go so in-depth that we could spend an entire episode on going through how a Jewish winery works. Um, one of the kosher commandments that's very interesting, however, to Americans is found in Exodus 23:19, And this reads that you are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. And a lot of us would say, okay, uh, sure, that makes sense. Uh, goat, we're talking about a goat here. Don't boil it in its mother's milk. Got it. Okay. The Jews have extended this so far, though, with very specific implications that they say that no milk and dairy products may be mixed at any time. So what do I mean by that? I mean that if kosher food has meat in it, then no dairy can be in it. And if kosher food has dairy in it, then no meat may be in it. Okay, let's think about this practically. If, if a Jew drinks a cup of coffee and he chooses to put a hint of milk in it, right? Because some of us like milk in our coffee. They actually have to wait six hours before having meat again just to make sure that they do not ever come into conflict with that Exodus 23:19 prohibition as part of their kosher dietary restrictions. Again, if the Jew has meat and he wants to then three hours later put a little bit of cream in his coffee, can't do that, has to wait the full six hours. So it's definitely different than what we might consider today, but it is, it is something that, that they do, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. So back on the plane here, all the kosher food is sealed, and um, it, it, I mean, it's, it's really sealed. I got kosher food on the plane once on a trip to Israel. And it is hard to get into because they want to be so careful with the prohibitions. A Jew would rather go without eating than to break kosher restrictions. I mean, we see this in the flight, right? As you're looking around, you're seeing some of the Jewish passengers start to signal flight attendants to ask more specific questions about the preparation of the food. 
Now, the meal finishes, and as soon as the meal finishes, the Jews are going to start praying. There are various prayers to choose from depending on actually what they eat. So, for example, if they uh, eat bread, there's one prayer they say after eating bread. They actually don't pray before their meal like many Christians do because they don't want to be presumptuous and thank God before they eat. They want to thank God after they've eaten for the blessing of the food. So this is actually sourced again in the Torah. Again, all of their commandments are sourced in the Bible right here. So we see Deuteronomy 8.10 when it says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. So again, it's, it's, that, it's the idea of when you've eaten, then you will bless me. Not this, before you've eaten, you will bless me. Not saying that it's right or wrong what we do today, but that is how they look at it. So it's an interesting principle that, like I said, it, it's foreign to us. And we're going to see this come up time and time again. So this is a, a great uh, way for you to have context for what you're going to see throughout our, our time in Israel. The Jews also pray three times a day. And this doesn't just stop because they're high in the air and they're flying across time zones, right? Throughout the flight, the Jews are going to continue to pray. They're gonna, they might get up out of their seat. They are, they're going to get out their prayer book, a key element in the, in the Jewish religion, a prayer book with various prayers, and they will pray. It is humbling to watch their devotion to God. Um, when I first traveled to Israel, this level of reverence and concern for following uh, God's commands really pierced my core because it's something that we don't see in America a lot, right? We can be very uh, uh, passive about our worship to God. The Jews are fully present when they worship God, and some might call it ritualistic, and you're welcome to form your own opinion, but I would disagree. Um, I've come to see it as really a, a holy reverence and devotion to God, YHVH, their Lord. So finally, we are 30 minutes out from our landing, and the pilot tells us that finally we're entering Israeli airspace. And when you enter Israeli airspace, you actually have to be seated and stay there for the rest of the flight, which is about, like I said, 30 minutes. Look out now and see the land of Israel. This is your first view of Israel, the Holy Land. See how dry it is in some, sp in some spots? See how desert-like it is? Notice the mountainous ranges we're seeing. We can even see a small spring. This is all the joy of coming in by plane to Israel. From now on, of course, we'll be, we'll be going around in our tour bus, but this is the joy of seeing it, uh, getting the aerial view there. So it's getting a bit bumpy now, right? You can start to feel it because we're coming on into Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. And we have landed. I remember the first time I landed here, I was overwhelmed because all of a sudden, <laughs> clapping starts. The Jews are so happy to be back in their land because it is their homeland. And they start clapping away upon landing. It's a beautiful thing to see and experience. So as we exit the plane, we're going to make the trek through the airport and out to customs. And we're going to actually see some of the land through the large windows, these large glass windows, right, that Ben Gurion Airport is, has put out. And we can look out and see this beautiful holy land. There's one more thing I want you to see, though. As we come out of the space where travelers can be picked up, many people are holding up signs and joyously celebrating. This is because many Jews make aliyah. Aliyah is a Hebrew word that means ascent. It's a term that Jews are going to use when they're referring to making a return to their homeland permanently. So many Jews recognize Israel right as their God-given home, but many of them are spread throughout the world and, and are, have been spread out throughout the world. But they're, they're coming back. So when they choose to return to Israel and make their home there, we refer to it as Aliyah. It's absolutely joyful. I mean, many times uh, those making Aliyah will have relatives already living in Israel who are so excited to see them. And that's what all the screaming is about that you're saying. That's what all the signs are for. To me... I rejoice with the Jewish people that they can return to their homeland, which is the land that we know in Genesis that God gave to Abraham and all his descendants 
all of the Jewish people. Here are some stats for you that I find absolutely fascinating as we conclude our trip for today. In 1800, there were around 7,000 Jews in Israel. Now, around the time of World War II, there, there were around 450,000. Now, there are around 7 million Jews in the land of Israel. They are coming home to their promised land, the land that God gave to them. They're recognizing that it is for them. And when Israel gained independence, they were able to go home. And now we're able to come with them and experience with them. Come with me on the virtual voyage. Experience Israel. Experience all it has to offer from the very top to the very bottom, from Tel Dan in the north to the Red Sea, Eliot in the south. Thanks so much for tuning in to the virtual voyage the Armchair Travel Show with me, your host, Abigail Snyder. I hope that you'll join me next week as we step out of the airport after quite a time of travel. It was quite that today, wasn't it? And then we drive to Jerusalem, our first stop on this virtual voyage. I will see you then.